Today's episode of The Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by The Ringer Podcast Network. If you enjoy our podcast, you may also enjoy The Masked Man Show, where every week, professional wrestling journalist David Shoemaker hosts an all-star cast of comedians, writers, wrestlers, and more to discuss all things happening in and out of the squared circle. The Masked Man Show can be found on The Ringer's Channel 33 podcast. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes by going to iTunes.com slash The Ringer or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at the Ringer. Join me in the line. Stay to Kelly. Danny, how are you? I'm doing great, man. You sound like uh, you sound like you've been eating cigarettes. To borrow a line that you I, just said to me, I uh, I should have said, "Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show." <laughs> My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at the Ringer, and this is what I sound like after seeing Japan droids twice in three nights. <laughs> You sound like hell, man. The uh, season I mean, is uh, hard on you. It's really just my throat. Just a lot of singing, a lot of shouting from the mountaintop. And uh, it was very fun. But, you know, we, we have things to talk about because football never sleeps. So that's right. We're coming to you guys. We're going to try to do, you know, well, I'm not going to not going to make myself beholden to a schedule, but we're going to be back with some regularly scheduled programming here for a while. And, you know, we're going to do some different stuff. We're going to talk about some things we've written. We're going to do some things that aren't necessarily tied to the news cycle because there is no news cycle at this point. You know, if we want to do 45 minute podcast about Brandon Albert getting released, we could, but I'm not sure that's going to be useful. So right today, we're going to talk about something that Danny wrote today. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Danny wrote something that went up this morning just about kind of who are the most stable franchises in the league, you know, as we move from this year to next year and kind of tinged by what they've been for a long time. Obviously the ones that are stable from this year to next year are more stable if they've had a history of the same people in charge. So that's what we're going to chat about. We're going to talk about kind of the teams at the top, why they're there, why some teams are at the bottom, some teams that in my mind are just in the exact wrong fucking place. And I'm going (laughs) to yell at Danny about them, but that's what we're going to do. I hope that sounds all right to you, bud. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested to hear you just totally lay waste to my arguments, but yeah, let's let's definitely get into this because uh, I'm ready for that too. It's been too mine. long. I you should. <laughs> I mean, here's uh, Barnwell told me this once. He said, anytime you do 32 of something, it's a lot of something. Anytime you rank 32 <laughs> things, it gets to be a lot, and it absolutely yeah. is. So I, I know mean, it, I, it's like 3,000 words, man. So I, I was like. <laughs> I prepped for it all the day before, and then I just started writing it. And I'm like, man, it just keeps getting longer and longer. So and 32 <laughs> something's a lot of something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, obviously at the top, I think there's no other place to start. I mean, you, a team that has had the same quarterback and same head coach for a decade and a half when yeah. uh, the Browns have had 17 of those in the last 15 years. So uh, <laughs> the New England Patriots are uh, far and away, you know, the most stable franchise in this sport and in most sports. You know, right. the, the NBA. There's you can get over the cap. There's bird rights. You can sign guys to bring them back. There are just incentives for guys to come back outside of their own, you know, monetary interests in the NFL. There aren't really that many things in place to do that. You have the franchise tag, but there aren't a ton of reasons for teams to be able to do what the Patriots have done. And, you know, that's why they're number one with the bullet. There's really no other team you can almost think about putting there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it, the whole the whole time I made this list. It was always the Patriots, and then what? Who you else? know, just yep. because. It, I mean, obviously the the culture is so strong. The Patriot way is like a term that we all use now. We've um, been using it for fifteen years, right? And I mean, obviously the the relationship that Belichick and Brady have. I mean, it's like even when you look at the coordinators, they they're both going into their sixth straight season for some crazy reason. Like no one's plucked them yet. 
Um, so I, they just have so like the language is just so locked in. The messaging is really locked in. Um, you know, the, the culture of the team and the identity of the team and all that. It's just so, uh, I mean, stable, obviously. And I just think going from this year to next year, um, I mean, it's just a smooth transition I, for, especially for a Super Bowl team. Like I don't see this being like a crazy difficult transition that you see with a lot of Super Bowl teams. The coordinator thing is the craziest part to me. And yeah. I think they got lucky in a way. I mean, Patricia just became the defensive coordinator by name, not that long ago. You know, right. Belichick had essentially not given him that title for whatever reason. So he just got there. He had been doing it for a couple of years. And the McDaniels, they kind of lucked into it in the sense that he had the Broncos job. It went horribly. Yeah. He came back. So he's not in a hurry to go do that again, in a, unless it's a situation that he feels completely comfortable in. So in that right. way, it's kind of this perfect confluence of circumstances. that's allowed them to keep those guys. Because even think about the team we're going to talk about next, your team. When you have a really good defense and a really good team, the coordinators go. You had two right. that went. I mean, it just doesn't happen where you have this sort of continuity with the coaching staff when the coaching staff is this good. Think about the Patriots the first time. Cornell got a head coaching job. Weiss gets hired somewhere. I mean, these guys mm-hmm. just go elsewhere because they're high-profile names. Yeah, there's so much turnover in the coaching ranks across the league. I mean, we saw it this year. Um, I mean, some of the teams that we'll talk about later literally created brand new staffs of like, you know, 10 or 15 people each. And so you're plucking people from different teams and, and, you know, guys are always looking to either have building block jobs, uh, stepping stone jobs, or, you know, get a promotion or whatever, get more money. Um, And obviously this year, I think it helped that the Patriots, you know, did the long run through the playoffs. I think that probably made it harder to get, you know, McDaniels sort of, I guess teams weren't willing to risk waiting for him or whatever. You know, he he interviewed with 49ers and then, you know, took his name out of the running and everything. But um, yeah, so I just the fact that they were able to keep both of their coordinators plus Belichick, it's like they just it, there's no I mean, there's no speed bump this off this offseason other than free agency, which happens every offseason for every team. So I don't know. I just think they're so set up for success again next year. It's crazy. And it's also kind of annoying and frustrating. Yeah, it really is. So <laughs> let's move on to, you know, the other section, the Patriots. And there's the others, right. the field. I think the teams you have up there, uh, it makes sense to me. You know, Seattle is a g- really good example. Just the relationship that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have. You have Russell Wilson going mm-hmm. into, what is it? You're six now. Isn't that crazy? That's something. Yeah. Is yeah that it? I, I mean, think that is it. Yeah. I mean, that's so that's just kind of weird, but you and the defense has been around for so long. The saints, you have that pairing with Peyton and breeze. It's been going out for more than a decade. I think that they're a little high for me just based on the defensive turnover. They have both personnel wise and with the staff, sure. you know, the offensive sure. staff is obviously just a, the beat goes on with them always, but the defensive mm-hmm. staff, I, I think there's been a lot there to put them that high, but I understand why they are you know, the Packers. Ted Thompson's been the GM there for 30 years because Ron Wolf and Ted Thompson are the same person. So, right. I mean, it's, they, they've had the same GM. Maybe he has a different name, but they ha- they've had <laughs> the same one. And the fact that Rodgers and McCarthy have been there the whole time, that, that's just crazy. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Dallas at five makes less sense to me. Okay. They just, got a new, they just got a new quarterback and a new running back. And their, <laughs> their defensive coordinator is still relatively new. I think he's been there for three years. Their defensive, right. st- their defensive personnel, name me three players on the, fa- on the Cowboys defense. <laughs> <laughs> Period. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> okay, so, well, I mean, if you look at the, the Packers and the Saints, for me, it was about their offense and 
those are that's the identity of both of those teams. And I think you could say the same about the Cowboys. That's their identity. Um, and so when I was looking at it, I was I kind of narrowed my focus because there's a lot of ways you can do this in terms of ranking. And like you said, in 32 teams, there's a lot of something. Um, the way that I looked at it was how easy is the transition going to go from year from last year to this year? And I look at what they have. They have the the rookie quarterback who's going to have an extra year under his belt. The rookie running back who is going to have another year learning the system and, and refining that. Um, they, the, they return all five starters from the beginning of last year. Uh, Garrett's just, you know, solid rock there as the head coach. Um, there's just continuity across the board in, in their identity. And so obviously, I mean, if you look at, you know, the if you go back further in terms of like longevity and all that, yeah, you could definitely make an argument that the Cowboys should be lower. But I'm just looking at it sort of a narrow focus of this year to, to next year and, and how easy it's going to be to transition. I think the Cowboys can just hit the ground running again next year. That's fine. I'll, I'll give you that one. There are a couple <laughs> more here that I will not give you. Oh God, the lines are coming up. Aren't so, they? so as we get further down to the top 10, Cincinnati makes total sense. Pittsburgh makes total sense. Keith Butler is even a kind of a transition step, kind of an extension of Dick LeBeau. I mean, you consider that plus how long Haley's been there. It, they've had the same kind of core group for a long time, ideologically and the same faces. I feel mm-hmm, like that's also mm-hmm. something we should chat about when we get down to um, the Falcons and other teams talking about coordinator changes. Offensive coordinator continuity is one of the most underrated bits of any team success. The, totally. the amount of time you've spent in a singular system matters so much. And I think Haley just kind of hanging around there with Roethlisberger is part of the reason they've been able to do that. So anyway, totally. I, I think those are fine. The Detroit Lions are eight. That well, is, you, that is okay, tell me, tell me why insane. I'm wrong first. For, okay. <laughs> Jim Caldwell is on the verge of getting fired every single year. <laughs> like just because he's the head coach there doesn't mean it's a good thing or that people want it. <laughs> also, I said, name me three Dallas Cowboys defensive players. Name me two Detroit Lions defensive players. <laughs> uh, Ezekiel Anza, yep, for one. That's one. <laughs> and, then, and then Darius Slay. You can't even say DeAndre Levy because he doesn't play. <laughs> yeah you're right shit um okay well first of all let me just say you made my argument for me right before this segment about talking about the Steelers and I'm I'm looking at Cooter going into his third season as offensive coordinator uh in that relationship with Matt Stafford and how important that is and how big of a deal that is I mean if you look at the difference between year one Matt Stafford or sorry year one Matt Ryan and, and Kyle Shanahan versus year two Matt, Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan, it was night and day. And I I like Jim Cooter as a, as a play caller. I think his offense he he really gets the most from Matt Stafford. I think that he understands the position and understands what what Stafford can do and asks him to do the things that he can do. Um, clearly, the Lions' defense is a is a liability and. You know, having Terrell Austin there for what his third straight year, fourth straight year, third straight year, um, no, fourth straight year. Yeah, yeah. and he's a good and, coordinator. I mean, he's a, I think he's a good coach, but I also just think that yeah. they've got a new slew of bodies rolling in there every single year. I mean, it's it's crazy <laughs> sure. how just they do not have a ton of guys that are mainstays of that unit. They really don't. I mean, Glover Quinn's been a solid player for them. They just signed him a couple of years ago like, on the front. You know, they lose fairly. They lose Sue. You know, not is there, but who knows for how long. You know, who, the guy, that spot opposite 
Ziggy Ansah has been a rotating cast of whoever's for a long time. The best player on their freaking defense last year, aside from Darius Slay, was Kerry Hyder, who's number 61 because they signed him <laughs> from nowhere. <laughs> he got the last number available. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, again, to me, yeah, and I, I get where you're coming from, believe me. And You also you just know. casually mention, oh, they have to replace the right side of their offensive line. <laughs> Well, I mean, they can use a they can use a franchise tag if they have to, and then keep at least one of them. You know, who knows? But so the thing is, I just see them building that identity. It's the third year of that offense, and I think they really, <clears throat> excuse me, came into it. And we saw we've seen kind of the beginning of what could be like a really really solid offense. So that's where they go in. And then if you look at the teams below them, I mean, they all you all could you could make the same arguments that I that you're making about the Lions below them, like. Um, I mean, should we just go on or do you want to, do you want to linger on the, my terrible lines choice right the, now? At I, I mean, it's a terrible choice, but that's fine. We don't have to linger on anymore. I just want to tell you that the, the Lions finished dead just last in defensive DVOA last year. Like that's, that sounds like great continuity. I would love to keep that going. The two teams that I feel like absolutely should be higher than them. One, the fact that Baltimore is below Detroit makes zero sense to me. Like, <laughs> The Raven, John what Harbaugh. is their offense? What is their offensive identity? I guess you could say the exact same thing about what's the defense, what's the Lions defense. I think the Ravens are like one of the worst offenses in the NFL. I agree with you there, but I also so think there it's, are... it's a flip for me. It's like a total flip flop thing. Like you're saying the Lions defense sucks, blah, blah, blah. The Ravens have no identity on offense at all. That's and a they solid just got point, a new coordinator. But I think having the same quarterback there for a long time gives you more continuity on that offense than Detroit's had on their defense. Identity aside. That's fair. That's still that's just fair. one of the factors you've had there for a long time. Also, like Marshall Yon has been there for 17 years, too. Like they have players that have been around. And then when you go to the defensive side, Dean Pease has been there for a while. I know it seems like right. we have this rotating cast of characters as the Ravens defensive coordinator. Pease has been there for a while. Harbaugh's been there for a long time. Ozzy Newsome, I know we're not talking about front offices here, but just from where they're going, I mean, no, they identity, just got yeah. a new they just got a new GM in Detroit. Like this this Baltimore team is much more stable than this Detroit team. I don't even think it's close. Jesus, did, did you take debate in high school or something? The, I did uh, not. <laughs> I no, just you, make, you make some very you you make some very good points about identity and culture and things like that again i mean it's it's to me it's it's splitting hairs because i try to focus this year to next year totally and oh. and you make very valid points in terms of like in the building messaging and and culture and, and just the way that like I guess uh, there's no such thing as the Ravens way, but the, the Ravens definitely have. Like, we just that, don't that say it because the Ravens are wrong culture. The Ravens aren't like that hoity toity about it. They like, they don't, <laughs> it's, they're not quite like the Patriots. They don't trademark things. What if, I, they they right. trademarked something terrible about the sixth Super Bowl this week. I can't remember what it was. It was like, it was like something for six. That was awful. It's like, God, the Patriots love that shit. Okay. Continue. <laughs> It's, image is everything oh god um yeah so i don't know i i definitely you could definitely make an argument for that and i mean i'm not like gonna die on the lion's hill or anything like that maybe they were a little too high the other i would say that i would be a little bit higher in that top group for me uh carolina would have been but the mcdermott thing matters in my mind i think that mm -hmm. rivera has enough of a hand on that defense that it makes sense right. for them to be a little bit higher but i do think mcdermott leaving is a thing the one that I would say I would put higher is Kansas City. 
because yeah. Dorsey's been there for a while and, and Reed really has such a hand in all of the things that happen. The fact that Bob Sutton's been there from day one with them. I just think that a lot of the elements of that team are really intact and whether Alex Smith's going to be the quarterback there for much longer is a whole different issue. But for the most part, I think that that's a team that's just bang, bang, bang every year. Derek Johnson, yeah. Tom Ali, Justin Houston, same defensive coordinator. We'll see what happens with Eric Berry. But I think right. for the most part, that team is just as rock solid as you can get in ways both good and bad. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like the same every year. It's like the seven to nine bullshit, but but like a little bit better. Yeah, a little bit better. Um, it's, it's the ten and six losing the, the playoffs yeah, bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's definitely fair. I, th- I feel like when I was making my rankings, I moved the Chiefs up and down like three or four times because I kept kept fiddling with whether how important that that Barry and Poe are both free agents right now and and they only have one franchise tag and what's the what's the impact if they lose one of those guys I guess that was kind of like where I landed on in like terms of why they fell down a little bit but I think that's nitpicking too much though I mean I think that's the one of those two guys saying that they're going to lose one of those two guys is not enough for me to knock them that far down because of how much stability there is in the highest levels of the franchise yeah totally and and that i mean now that i'm kind of like looking at it they do feel a little bit low um especially since they only have two free agents on offense right now which is kind of crazy i mean just in terms of staggering like contracts and everything that's pretty smart by the chiefs um obviously the question is what's going to happen with jamal charles that's another kind of up in the air thing not that they necessarily i I feel bad saying not that they need him because he's such a great player but they prove that you know they have other things that they can do on offense this year. So, yeah, I mean they're all. And again, it's like if you look at these teams like Bengals, Steelers, Lions, Ravens, Cardinals, Chiefs, they're all. It, it's it's splitting hairs in terms of I, I made I I have like a, a spreadsheet of different like variables and like almost all of the look variables on all these. I don't teams even know how like to use a spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, it's like they all have the exact same variables. It's like. Head coach, offense coordinator, defense coordinator, all same. Um, scheme, philosophy, identity, nothing changes. The, the quarterback is the same. There's approximately the same continuity in their coordinators. Obviously, like they had uh, kind of a change in, in offensive coordinator with Childress becoming assistant head coach. I don't really know what's going on there. You know, with, and then Nagy is now the official offense coordinator. It doesn't matter because Reed's calling plays anyway. Yeah, that's kind of the thing is that he's the offensive so, coordinator. Like losing Doug I mean, Peterson like literally, to me doesn't shake it like, up. What's that? I said losing Doug Peterson to me doesn't shake it up. You know, I, I don't really, I'm not really worried about that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's definite. I think the Chiefs are a solid, solid team. I think all these teams are solid. And so like putting them, you know, w- whether it's 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, 8, 10, 11, whatever. Like they're, they're all very, very ready to just hit the ground running next year in my mind. Yeah, that's I, I totally agree. And it is splitting hairs. I think that uh, that rejiggering is just something I wanted to chat about because I feel like some of it was a tiny bit you off have, the middle. You have every gr- right to do that. Thanks, buddy. I, we wouldn't be doing <laughs> this if I didn't. Yeah, uh, uh, I think the middle class here is is fascinating in a lot of ways. I don't know if there's really these are longer conversations. Like to me, the 15, 16, 17, 18 stretch of Philly, Tennessee, Tampa, Indy. Miami, even at 19, that stretch is really interesting to me because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of those teams could go in pretty drastic directions next year. Like, right. I think that the Eagles have a lot of talent on defense. 
I think the Titans have a lot of talent on offense. I th- and I think that Miami is in that same boat. Like if Miami had the best offense in football next year, would it shock you? Not terribly. Yeah. I mean, it's like one no, of those honestly. things. I actually, yeah. so I wrote about this. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Again, I wrote for tomorrow about the unit that could be the Falcons, the Falcons offense for next season. Like a group yeah. that the Falcons offense finished 22nd DVOA in 2015. And they, and they became That's one crazy. Of the, yes. And they became one of the best oh, offenses wow. we've ever seen. And it's yeah. a matter of a couple different factors. It's you have another year in the system with the quarterback. You have a really good coordinator. You have a couple pieces that you added both big money and getting lucky. You know, if Taylor Gabriel doesn't get released by the Browns week before the season, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter how savvy the Falcons are as this personnel team, but getting yeah. Alex Mack was smart. So I actually, these teams kind of in this tier, they all had it, it, units that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I said the Eagles defense, if they go out and get a corner or two, the Titans Absolutely. offense, because the Titans offense is close, man. I think they could actually be really close. If they go get the guy I, that I brought up, which just think about this for a, sec- a second, imagine just Sean Jackson in a Titans uniform. Ooh, right. That's interesting, right? That was really fun. I was very proud of that. That could be awesome. <laughs> they love to take shots. They desperately need another receiver outside of that. They have all those dudes coming back though. I mean, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have to figure out what they do with their, at their right guard spot. But again, we're nitpicking if we're talking about who the right guard is going to be as this downgrade on continuity. Right. So they got a lot of stuff I like. And I said the mighty, the Dolphins offense, because I just think that what happens on the offensive line is the number one question. Then I think they need to bring back Kenny Stills. I would re-sign him. After they cut Albert today, they have $37 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. They can afford to bring back Stills. And then if you move Tunsil to left tackle, you have two guard spots that are open. So if you use maybe a second-round pick on one of those and go get one of the guys in free agency, the Ronald Leary's of the world, the Larry Warford's of the world, go get one of those dudes, that offense gets real interesting in a hurry, man. I think Tannehill is oh, pretty damn solid in year one under Gase. If he can come back with that knee injury, wasn't as bad as other ACL stuff that we've talked about. If he can come back and kind of pick up where he left off, it's kind of a similar thing. I think Matt Ryan's a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. But if you take a step forward in year two, you have a really good offensive coach. I think there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot of peri- the par- uh, parallels there, honestly, because I mean, Gase has, has made his his career for being kind of like this savvy cerebral play caller you know qb whisperer or whatever and shanahan's the same style and it like took a minute to get going and we saw in the second half of the year like that miami offense started to be pretty potent it had Um, moments i mean to finish 14th with how much of a shit show their offensive line was but you don't release brandon albert unless he was that bad and he was that bad you lose pouncy for 11 games it's just they didn't have any stability there and to be able to sustain as a reasonable offense without that that's really hard to do. And yeah, I think it and speaks have, to Gase and everything guys else. That are, what's that? I think it speaks to Gase and everything else. And just the, yeah. to, like, the ridiculous collection of skill players that they have. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to say. is like They have these guys, too, that are sort of on the verge of breaking out. You know, um, you know Devontae Parker is the guy that I'm thinking of. Like, he, he, he definitely flashed moments of like brilliant. Like, he had a couple of like really crazy, awesome catches like towards the sideline. And they haven't really begun to tap him in, in terms of his potential. And so I think yeah, I mean, their concern is that he hasn't been able to tap his potential. That that's right. the problem there is that it, that may just be a, we, we never get to see what Devonte Parker is because Devonte Parker never lets us. Yeah. The other, th- the other thing about Miami is, I mean, their, their running back group was really, really young last year, but it's kind of an exciting group. Like Damian Williams, Kenyon drank, um, 
they had some interesting, I guess, options in that. In that, it's so somewhat similar to the Patriots and how you have like different style guys. Sure, like you got Jaji is like the hammer, and then you know you have the other two guys who are a little bit more space backs, and it, it's it's an interesting mix. I, I like their, I like yeah, like you said, I like their skill position players. It's it's you know that when you asked me who who the Atlanta for next year was be <clears throat> was going to be, I thought uh, the Dolphins kind of flashed my mind, but. They were one of the first ones I thought about. The Phillies defense was up there for me too, just because I think that they finished third in defensive DVOA. I mean, it's almost, it's not even like fair to kind of mention them because they were really good. The only problem they had was they gave up 57 passes of 20 yards or more. And almost all of those Mm -hmm. came outside the numbers. Like they just have no corners trading Eric Rowe for nothing doesn't help, but they had no corners. (laughs) So I just think that that team is like one or two moves away from being really scary. And I think the dolphins are the same way with that line. I mean, if if Tano can come back healthy, I think they could be reasonably good next year. Yeah, no, no doubt. I like that. I like that choice. Do you want to hear mine or I have a couple actually. Go for it, buddy. So when you asked me, I kind of, I was thinking about this, there's two teams that kind of came to mind and they're not in the same vein as Miami in terms of sort of like a young group on the cusp of breaking out. I thought of the Cardinals, um, just based on fair though. I mean, they were the best offense in the league two years ago. I know, but like they were pretty bad last year and and we Mm. were talking about like, is Carson Palmer basically done? And then he had a really, really strong second half. So he was, he was, that was one team I thought of, um, and the other team I thought of, which is we talked about in the in the live show a couple of weeks ago, was the Chargers. And I'm just kind of interested to see what Anthony Lynn's run game looks like in combination with Phillip Rivers. Now, there's obviously going to be that learning curve that we've been talking about this whole episode, and maybe it doesn't happen in, in one year or ever. But I kind of just like the 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 marriage of that that the bills run or run offense from last year with Philip rivers and getting him, you know, his back, his guys back next year to get, get some healthy guys back. And they've got a really deep receiver group because they got a lot of experience last year with the losses that they had. Keenan Allen missed most of the year. I think he was out in the first week. So that was another team that I thought of that could go from kind of middling. You're not really paying much attention to him this year to like one of the best offenses next year. I, I, they came to mind too. My concern with them is the line because they were right. bad this year up front. And I don't know what recourse they have to get better quickly. I could see King Dunlap being released because he had a pretty big contract. The problem is it's not as if it's like, oh, one guy needs to get fixed and then maybe we'll sign one other dude like Miami. It's no, no one's really good. <laughs> like, we have a lot of guys that we signed to come back to sizable contracts and no one's playing well. Did I Orlando Franklin not do well this year? I, I don't know. He, didn't, ha- he didn't have a very good year. And like, you know, the what's his name? Fluker has never been what they want him to be. Barksdale had no. a bad year. I mean, it just wasn't a very good group overall. So you just have all these guys that you've signed and kind of invested in. It's not like, oh, we missed on a third round pick. We'll pick another one. You know, that that's not really what's going right. on with the Chargers offensive line. So that's the concern to me. I think that what Lynn does on offense can make linemen look better. And we think that definitely was the case in Buffalo, but I'm not sure even he can do enough to really put those guys over the top. No. And yeah. And that's, that that's definitely a big variable. And I mean, when I, when I think about it, it it's, it, it's hard to imagine them like just hitting the ground running, which is kind of the, the theme of this whole podcast really. So I don't know. There, there's a lot of changes happening there. So, but, but just in terms of like, a new head coach, new DC, you know, like landing in a place with like a top level quarterback is kind of interesting. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think there's enough talent there where it wouldn't surprise me, but I was less bullish on them than I was on some of these other teams. That's so uh, 20 and 21 to me are very fascinating. 20 is Atlanta, which it is crazy to think that a team that was in the Super Bowl was historically good on offense, looked pretty damn good on defense by the end of the season. Is it 20? But I get it. <laughs> right. I mean, the Shanahan thing is that important. I feel like 20 is still a little bit low because even Joe Shanahan leaves, the entire offensive personnel grouping comes back. You know, Gabriel's a restricted free agent, I believe, something like that. But it, for the most part, you're getting those guys. And defensively, it's the same kind of deal. And I think that losing their defensive coordinator is overstated. You know, we've talked about this a little bit. Dan Quinn's the defensive coordinator of the Falcons. <laughs> like, right. so I think that for the most part, you're really just talking about Shanahan. And that's the thing is I think he's enough to put them pretty far down the list. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, you said it earlier, like the Falcons were 22nd in DVOA the first year of Shanahan's, you know, thing. And so like how, and and the other thing that I took into account here is like, we know nothing about Sark as like an NFL play caller. Nope. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) So like, I don't know, like, so I was thinking about, you know, there's, I think there's kind of a tendency for people to be like, Oh, he did this in so-and-so. And so therefore plug it into this program and it automatically works. But there's things like personal relationships, you know, just communication, think all these things like, you know, and it's it, also it's, a different sport. Like, I mean, it, 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 the NFL game right. is a different game. I right. mean, it's just, it's, it's vastly different. It doesn't matter what he did in so-and-so place. We'll just kind of figure out which pieces he's going to put together to be this guy at this level. He's never been an NFL coordinator before. Right. Right. So to me, that's like a huge deal. I mean, it's not like they went and got some retread who has like 10 years of experience con plays in the NFL. It's like a real unknown to replace like the best play caller in the NFL this year. And to, to basically take over the best offense in the NFL. Can you imagine? I mean, like, obviously, it's one of those situations you can't pass up. It's like he has a pretty lose lose situation here. Like, they're almost surely going to be worse next year. And then, like, everyone's going to blame him. But just by mere luck, they would be worse next year. Right. That's the thing. Right. So I, it's the one of it's the situation I'm most interested in watching from a just not a new head coach, just a new piece of a staff. This is the one I'm most interested in watching. What the hell is this going to look like? And how good can they be with this group? It's the number one question I will ask coming into the season about a coordinator. Yeah, definitely. And and here's the other thing that I kind of, this isn't like one of the top things I thought about, but like, I just was trying to picture how much turmoil will be in each building during the off season. You know, just how different is it? Like when you have, you have some of these teams that bring in a whole new like coaching staff, it's like everyone's trying to like introduce each other, you know, themselves to each other. Like it, it's this whole new crazy like thing. And then there's a lot of upheaval. I'm thinking like the Falcons off season, if I, you know, like after they blew a 25 point lead in the Super Bowl, like shit's going to be, there's going to be some drama in that, in that locker room in the off season. And so, and just in terms of like smooth transition from one year to the next, like after watching what the Seahawks did after they blew the Super Bowl two years ago, like they're still talking about it and it's still like a point of contention with, you know, all that. Luckily I get, or I don't know if it's luckily, but obviously it's not luckily, but like Shanahan won't be there. So that kind of takes away from it. But I mean, it's still like, it's still going to be one of those things that it's going to, they're going to, it's going to be hard to get over that loss. Yeah. And I agree. It creates a lot. Yeah, I agree. And like, especially when you are bringing new people on top of that. All right, let's move on. 
Uh, I want to just talk very briefly about the Vikings at 21. I think they're too low at 21 because your argument just about how there's a lot of guys coming in and out, whatever the guys that are going to be gone and were there last year for the most part, weren't there anyway. You know, Matt Khalil (laughs) was bad or hurt. Adrian Peterson didn't play the entire season. You know, all the guys that they're going to maybe lose in free agency are guys that they pretty much had to live without last year anyway. And that includes Teddy Bridgewater. You know, they're not losing in free agency, obviously, but he didn't play last year. So they're they're bringing back the same guys for the most part. And the guys they're not bringing back are guys they wouldn't want to bring back. (laughs) Right. Well, the way that I looked at it is... It felt to me like they changed their entire identity on the fly last year, and I still don't really know what it is. And and I mean, on maybe offense. from the inside, yeah, on offense. And I yeah. and, and if you're looking on at it from the outside in, I mean, we obviously just don't have we're we're not privy to those conversations and like what they're planning. But like my my look at it right now, it's like I don't know who they're planning on leaning on. I, I assume it's Sam Bradford since I think that Brad Bridgewater is still, you know, probably at least halfway through the year to come back. But it's like how how are they planning on like ha- what's their offensive design? What are they planning on doing? And so I w- I just looked at it like I mean I still it feels like they're still scrambling to figure out like what their identity is. And and so that's kind of like why they're so low to me. Um Here's my argument. I yeah. think that they have pieces on offense, including the fact that Bradford played pretty damn well last year. I, their biggest issue is that they couldn't block anybody. And that's what they <laughs> have to figure out. And I don't know how right. they're going to be able to figure it out. But that's the thing. The guys that they're losing are the dudes that made them bad. So if they can try to replace those people <laughs> with even replacement level players, I think they have a chance to be pretty solid on offense next year. Maybe I'm just being delusional, but I, I mean, Adam Thielen can play a little bit and oh, Stephon yeah, Diggs can. definitely can. Kyle Rudolph had a nice season. I, I just think that if they get a couple linemen in there, they have a chance to be at least serviceable on offense. And with that defense, I think it has the makings of a decent team. Here's the thing. I think this is where bias and maybe just opinions can come in. I don't, I don't think Sam Bradford is good. I, I think that's kind of like where it like started like the other thing that was big and and i you know this is like we haven't really talked about it a ton yet because we're still not into that section but like quarterback is a huge thing in in stability for me and i just am not sold on sam bradford i mean i watched him in the nfc west for years he didn't do anything in philly i mean i don't know what's wrong with me i i I watched him last year i was like man he looks okay I, maybe I, I'm just, there's something wrong with me. I really think there's something wrong with my wiring. <laughs> I mean, he did make, he made a couple good throws like early on in the year, but then I feel like we didn't see a whole lot from him after that. He was getting the um, shit kicked out of him. Well, sure. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of been the story of his whole career, honestly, but still, I mean, I just, I guess it, I it, it comes down to like, the stability at the quarterback position is crappy for the Vikings in my mind. All right. So the team's a little bit further down this list. You, know, you have the Texans at 22. You have the Bears at 23. The Washington even at 25. These are all teams I feel like are this low because of what's going to happen with their quarterback situation. You know, there's some yeah. stability at other parts of these organizations. John Fox has been there for longer than I think I care to admit. But the other issue, the real issue is who's <laughs> going to play quarterback for them. So these right. teams, whether it's Houston, Chicago, whoever, if one of them, which which of these guys, which of these teams, if they were to get one of the cousins, Jimmy G, Romo group, do you think would 
kind of shoot up this list the furthest for you. Which team would be most helped out by quarterback stability? I guess that is the very simple version yeah. of my convoluted question. I think the Texans because I, I agree with you. Yeah, I like that. Well, obviously they have a very good defense. They're presumably getting JJ Watt back. Jadavian Clowney kind of had a breakout year. And I don't, I mean, the, the Vrabel thing turned becoming the defensive coordinator. I don't think that's going to be like a huge scheme or language change. I mean, they're probably, he, he already knows the language, you know, and, and that's like a big part of like scheme changes and coaching changes is like guys that change the language of the calls. And it just doesn't have, it's not like, you know, you can just snap your finger and you know exactly where you need to be. Yeah. I don't think it really affects it that much. Maybe the play calling will be a little bit different, but Overall, I think Texans with their defense are set up if they just got a quarterback and that's why they took that big risk on Osweiler and it just, you know, did not work. But like if they got a quarterback, then they're like, you know, I think you're talking about them as like a top 10 team. So, yeah, I would say I'd say the Texans just based on the defense they have. I think with Brian, you know, is a a pretty good offensive coach. I, I, you know, I don't know how how much I have faith in him, but I think with with that you know, that group of players that they have that, especially in that division, they could, they could be really good. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think that would be my answer as well. I feel like they just have enough pieces elsewhere on offense. You know, like Hopkins is what he is. I think Lamar Miller is a solid player. The line worries me a little bit. Dwayne Brown was playing very well by the end of the season, which was nice to see, but I have questions at most of those other spots. So that's something to take a look at. You know, it's not just a quarterback away necessarily. You know, we're kind of that conversation about the Rams last year. Like, no, no, the Rams have no linemen. Like I know, I know Todd Gurley's good, but it's not just a quarterback. Like a lot of other <laughs> problems. I think the Texans are more in that boat than people sit, talk about. But I, I do tend to agree with you that they would be my answer there. Yeah. All right, man. One other guy. It seemed that I just was shocked to see them this far down the list, but I can't necessarily argue. Denver's twenty-seven on your list. Yeah. Which, Jesus, I think about how many. <laughs> I mean, and I and I totally understand it. I mean, since 2011, they've had three different starting quarterbacks and th- three different head coaches. Yeah, I mean, it really is remarkable that it's been that much turnover. And because of how successful they've been, usually when you have teams st- shuffling guys in and out like that, they're garbage. You know, like I don't want to say the Browns because it's mean, but the Browns and <laughs> right. you've had so much turnover in Denver so often. I mean, I guess just aside from Elway that it, I don't even, who's that coach for the Broncos? I like it. And, and also who the hell is Joe Woods? <laughs> <laughs> there is actually uh, on a lot of these, when I was putting all of my lists together, I was like, who the hell is this guy? I had to like Google a bunch of guys. Cause it's just like, I mean, obviously, if they're like sort of in the lower ranks on a team, we're not talking about them a whole lot, but um, I don't know who that is. And I don't know what, you know, Vance Joseph brings to the table. I just don't know enough about yeah. it. I don't think his defense was especially amazing last year. Um, you know, people ask me when the Broncos hired him, like, what does that bring to the team? I'm like, I don't I don't know. Like, that's to me why it, this is such a big mystery and like why they're so low i'm not saying this isn't a ranking of like how good they're going to be this is to me is like yep there's a lot of turn, turmoil happening totally. in, that, in that team and we don't know who their quarterback is really i mean simeon showed some stuff i think there's i think i saw a couple of reports that they want lynch to be the guy still it's like i mean i just don't really know like what's happening on, on at the quarterback position either not to mention they basically replaced the entire staff yeah 
I mean, it, it, they're, it, they start over, and and that really is. Yeah. I mean, like you think about how good they've been. They're two years removed for a Super Bowl. We're starting over again, and the offense. You know, the, a lot of those guys they have no free agents that are starters in their offense. But you assume that Okung might get cut. You also assume that mm-hmm. their offensive line was a absolute disaster last year. So yep. there's probably going to be some turnover there, even if there isn't going to be on the surface. Defensively, most of those guys are back, but Joe Woods has been a lifetime secondary coach. Is the answer to your question. He was the defensive backs coach in Denver for the last two seasons. And he was in Minnesota for eight years, a little bit before that, including a one year stint in Oakland. So there is your answer to that question. He's 46 (laughs) years old. He's been in the league for a long time. Okay. Uh, Anyway, that's Joe Woods. And I think that proves our (laughs) points. Uh, I want to, before we get out of here, one other team I wanted to chat about, you know, the other kind of the usual suspects near the bottom here. Jets, Jaguars, yeah. you know, like we know you have Sean McVay and his, you know, Sean McVayness in, in LA now. I mean, there's a lot of teams that we're used to being in on this list. You know, I guess Doug Marone is some sort of continuity because he was there last year in Jacksonville. <laughs> but uh, at the bottom here, I, I don't think there's any conversation. I mean, it is the San Francisco right. 49ers. Like at least the Browns have had the same GM for a year now or <laughs> in the same coach. <laughs> The 49ers are starting over in every way possible, minus the Jed York elements, which may be the only one that matters. But in every other way, this is going to be a brand new franchise. And in a lot of capacities, it's like an expansion team. Like Kyle Shanahan can do pretty much whatever he wants here. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it all works. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's actually I mean, I'm not even necessarily like down on what they've done so far. Yeah, I'm not either. It's honestly I think Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm holding out. I, I'm withholding any sort of judgment on on Lynch. You know, maybe he'll end up being like a very savvy. You know, just he knows how to evaluate guys. Who knows? Um, but to me, it's just like who, what the we have no freaking clue like what this is going to do because. Lynch doesn't have any experience as a scouter in the front office. You know, Shanahan's never been a head coach. Uh, Their defensive coordinator is, I think, a first-time defensive coordinator as well. Like, there's just so many unknowns, plus they don't know what's going on with the quarterback. You know, is Kaepernick going to be there? Um, Gabber and Ponder are both free agents. Like, there's just like... And I wrote about this a couple weeks ago when they officially announced the, the Shanahan signing. It's like, if they don't give him time to, like establish his system his program like the 49ers are just just doing it wrong they need to give that this time to happen and i mean you said it like he can basically do anything because there's no expectation or there shouldn't be any expectation for success the year one i said that what i'm watching sarkeesian is the most the coordinator most interested in seeing the 49ers the team i'm most interested in watching i mean there are so many dominoes that can fall with this team you know they're having number two pick what they're going to do with that what they're going to do with quarterback there's so much kind of terrifying power that they wield this offseason and like how it affects other things. The one thing I read today that I thought was kind of fascinating in Albert Breer's playbook, which on the MQB, which I would suggest to anybody, I think it's very valuable reading every week. Uh, Lynch was in like draft meetings with the Broncos for a couple of years with Elway. They're very close. So okay. they were, okay. he sat in and like is, has more familiarity with that kind of process that I think people understood, which I did not know. Mm. And I think is kind of interesting. That doesn't make you yeah. qualify to be a GM necessarily on its own, <laughs> but I do think it's something to keep in mind as we enter this part of the season where the combine's about to happen. Free agency is about to happen. He, he has been around this in more of a capacity than we thought 
mm-hmm. just with him being a broadcaster. So it's going to be fascinating. I mean, like how they spend money, which they have a lot of boy. I, I mean, they, <laughs> they really, they could go in any single direction and it's why they're 32 here because it's from scratch. You know, like they are literally totally. starting from the ground up and there really wasn't any other way to end this list. And there's really no <laughs> other way to end this podcast. That's all we got, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it, this to me was a fun article to write because, and a, and a fun pod to do, just because it, it's kind of setting up next year, and I'm, it, it makes me, makes me really look forward to it already. You know, totally. You're just the season just ended, but man, there's gonna be some interesting stuff happening next season. Totally, I, I'm looking forward to it, and we're right back at it. Here we go. We'll be back next <laughs> week, as always. Appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.